0: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to worship this morning on this beautiful Sunday morning. Let's prepare our hearts and minds to worship God as we listen now to the prelude.
1: Would you please join me in the call to worship? Come, gather here in the presence of Christ, who is our friend and healer. We have here to worship
0: together, and we yearn for hope and comfort.
1: Let us reach to the heart of Jesus, who is our life. We encounter our Lord, who makes us whole. Here we are welcomed and loved and cherished. Here we are, the people of God. Let us rejoice and praise God. Some describe the first Christian community as the three who were gathered on their crosses at Golgotha. Later this morning, we will share the faith of the worldwide Christian community through the Sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Right now, let me welcome you to this community of faith in the present time and familiar location where the message of Christ is lived out every day. Please now join me in a spirit of prayer. Holy God, we stand in awe before all you have created, the sun and the stars, the trees and oceans, and all the creatures of the world. In humility, we praise you for all you have given us. We ask one thing, gracious God, that you be with us in this time and place this morning. May we be aware of your presence with us, among us, and in us. May our hearts and minds be open to hear your words of love to us this morning. Lead us, loving God, into a relationship with you. And now hear our thoughts and our hearts as we come to you individually in a time of silent prayer. And out of the stillness, may we all say, Amen. Amen. And now if you would please join in the prayer of preparation and confession in the bulletin. You know, O God, how pleased we can be with ourselves, how little we remember you. We confess that we are too ready to think bitterly of others and to throw up barriers between them and us. Forgive us our pride that has so little reason and our concern for prestige that has so little importance. Forgiving us thinking so much of ourselves that other people's needs and sorrows hardly impinge on us. Make us less sure of our own goodness, and more sure of your forgiveness and love. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Jesus told the first Christian community, those thieves on the crosses, today you will be with me in paradise. And Jesus tells all his Christian community, past, present, and future, the same promise. Today you will be with me in paradise. Believe the good news of the gospel. We are forgiven and we will be with Christ. May we go in peace. Amen.
0: Well, now I invite you all to stand as you're able and to greet one another. Well, good morning to everyone. I'm so glad to welcome you and see you today in God's house on this beautiful Sunday morning. I invite those of you who are sitting in the center of the aisles to take out the pew pads that are hanging there on a little hook and take a pen or pencil, write down your name and any contact information you'd like to leave with us and pass it on down the aisle. And we'll be able to greet everybody by name who's in your aisle today, I can assure you of that. Is that gonna happen today? I hope so. So there are a number of announcements in the bulletin today. One of them is that the um, high school and middle school programs are going to kick off soon. In fact, ROC, the youth group for the high school students, starts next Sunday. And then I was just told that uh, City Team Ministries in Oakland was able to provide 1,100 backpacks for students in the city of Oakland. And so this is wonderful. And our church was able to To support that ministry as well, so thank you for all those all of you who participated in that. Um, So I've been gone for the last two weeks out of town. I know you missed me. I was back in the East Coast where my roots are with my family, and we took a long ride from Washington D.C. where I grew up. At the first service, somebody said we thought you grew up in San Diego. I did, I moved to San Diego from suburban Maryland when I was six, so I have the lucky fortune of having rooted for the Baltimore Orioles and the San Diego Padres for my whole life. And that's not very much fun. <laughs> so anyway, I was back there and part of what we did is we saw some historical churches. One of them is Monocan Presbyterian Church in Saint, uh, Princess Anne, Maryland on the Eastern Shore where my grandmother is from. One of the first Presbyterian churches founded in the the colonies back in the 1600s, and my family was part of that after they came from Scotland. Another church is called Barrett's Chapel. It's in uh, uh, Frederica, Delaware. It's the first Methodist church in the United States of America, too. My great-uncle and aunt are buried there. A lot of historical churches. Then last Sunday, I was in Boston, Massachusetts, where my wife's family is, And I was privileged to watch online a worship service from Piedmont Community Church. And I wanted to say what a great privilege that was to be way back east, be able to participate in the worship service way out here in California, and to hear Steve's preaching and the music and Jeff's prayer. And it was a great thing. So again, thanks to Michael Barber, who's... Made this happen, we were able to film and show our worship services to people online. That's why it's my privilege to welcome the people online to our worship service here today, even as I welcome you. So that's a long story, but I just wanna say how important it was for me to be able to worship with you all last week. There are other announcements here in the bulletin as well. I invite you to look at them and to give thanks to God for the ministry and mission that we share.
2: To mercy, pity, peace, and love, all pray in their distress, and to this virtue, Thank you.
0: Now we get to uh, hear the word of God from the Gospel of Mark from the 12th chapter. The uh, passage here is a well-known passage, and it comes in the context of uh, a time when Jesus is in Jerusalem, the last week of his life, and he is uh, having a debate with some of the the people who are his uh, adversaries, some of the rabbis who are Sadducees and Pharisees and and called scribes sometimes, and then he comes to this part here where one of the scribes asks him a very important question. So now listen to how Jesus answers that question, and listen for the word of God to you today. One of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he, Jesus, answered them well, he asked him, which commandment is the first of all? Jesus answered, The first is here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and all of your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And then the scribe said to him, You're right, teacher, you have truly said that he is one, Besides him there is no other, and to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, there is, this is much more important than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, to the scribe, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any question. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And let's pray. Holy God, we pray that you will grant us the eyes to see and the ears to hear and the hearts and minds to understand your word and your world this day as best we can. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I was flying back from Boston, Massachusetts, on Thursday of this past week from our vacation I had a chance, of course, to look at the online entertainment options on Delta Airlines, and one of the movies that I saw that was available was Up in the Air. Anybody remember that movie, Up in the Air? Ten years ago, it stars George Clooney, and he plays a guy named Ryan Bingham. It's worth looking at this movie again. It's really interesting. Ryan is a a freelance corporate downsizer. That means he basically flies around the country all the time firing people. Sounds kind of like a miserable existence to me personally, but Ryan loves his job because his secret ambition in life is to accumulate 10 million frequent flyer miles. Kind of a shallow ambition if you ask me, but... So it's ironic that in the movie you finally get to a scene where... Ryan's sister is about to get married, and the groom-to-be is getting cold feet. And Ryan is the one who is selected by his sister to go ask the guy what's going on and to convince him to get married. And so Ryan says to this guy, why would you say that today, that you're having second thoughts on getting married? And here's what the guy says in answer. Well, last night I was kind of like lying in bed and I couldn't get to sleep. So I started thinking about the wedding and the ceremony and about our buying a house and moving in together and having a kid and then having another kid and then Christmas and Thanksgiving and spring break and going to football games. Then all of a sudden they are graduated and getting jobs and getting married. And you know, I'm a grandparent and then I'm retired, and I'm losing my hair, and I'm getting fat, and the next thing I know, I'm dead. And it's like, I can't stop from thinking. What's the point? I mean, what is the point? Pretty good question, if you ask me, right? Very good question, what is the point? And you know what, about 2000 years ago, that is exactly what that scribe is asking Jesus. What is the point of life? What matters most? Now, of course, you could, you could answer that question in lots of ways. You know, in our culture, you might say, you know, it's about getting money or success or beauty or power or fame or frequent flyer miles or whatever it is. There's all sorts of things that could be your priorities in life. And in Jesus' day... One of the most common responses to that question of what matters most would have been among the Jews of his day to follow the laws written down in the Torah. That is the laws of Moses. There are 613 laws for Jewish people to follow. In Hebrew, they are called mitzvot. And in the Old Testament, there are 248 positive ones. Those are things you're supposed to do and 365 negative ones, things you're not supposed to do, one for every day of the year. That's a lot of laws. Now some people, when they look at the text that I just read, they think that the scribe, just because Jesus has been in a debate with all these other religious scholars, they think that the scribe is trying to trick Jesus into coming up with a bad answer to his question. But that is not what's happening. Not here in Mark. Because for generations, Jewish scholars, Christian scholars, but particularly rabbis, have consistently asked other rabbis over and over again the same question. How can you summarize the Torah? How can you summarize all those laws? And Jesus gives him a really good answer. In fact, the rabbi compliments him. He says, that's a very good answer. So Jesus says, he boils it down to two things. The first phrase comes from the book of Deuteronomy. In Hebrew, it's called the Shema, or the Shema Yisrael. And it means, hear, or hear, O Israel. In Hebrew, it goes, hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, and all thy strength. It's at the heart of the Jewish religion, as I said. In fact, it is so crucial that the words that follow it in Deuteronomy are these. Keep these words in your heart, recite them to your children, and talk about them when you are at home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand, fix them as an emblem on your forehead, and write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. That's how important those words are, the Shema. Hear, O Israel. And that's why some Jews, especially religious Jews and Orthodox and and rabbis, uh, to this very day when they worship, they will wear a little box attached to their forehead with leather straps and a little box on their hand or on their their wrist, their arm, that is, is... contains a little tiny scroll, and written on the scroll are the words of the Shema. How many of you were here a couple of years ago when Rabbi uh, Mark was here talking about what it's like to be a Jewish leader? How many of you came to that forum? It was very well attended. He showed us basically what he does every time he leads a worship service. Those words are on his hand, on his head. And when you go to a Jewish person's home, you'll often see a mezuzah, which is a thing right on the side of the door, nailed to the doorpost. Inside of the mezuzah is also written the words of the Shema. Hear, O Israel. Now, if it's so important for us to love God, in fact, we're commanded to do it, there's only one problem. Because... Here's the thing, how can you possibly command somebody to love somebody else, even if that somebody else is God? I mean, just imagine a couple on a first date, okay? A couple on a first date. The woman really likes the guy, the guy likes the woman, whatever, and she really wants to hang out with him a lot. She likes the way he looks, the way he talks, the way he jokes around, whatever it is, and she blurts out, I command you to love me. You will marry me, and we will live happily ever after. How many of you women or men ever said that on a first date? Maybe you don't want to raise your hands, I don't know. That's not how it works. It's also not the kind of love that Jesus is talking about here. Because the word translated here as love really has nothing to do with romance or emotional feeling. In Greek, the word is agape. And many, many of you have heard that word before. Agape is a word for love, and it is. It's translated that way all the time in English. But its literal meaning in Greek in the New Testament, which is written in Greek, is much closer to our English words fidelity or allegiance. So, for example, when you say the Pledge of Allegiance, when we say the Pledge of Allegiance, We're professing our love for our nation. Not that we want to marry it, as my kids used to say. But we are dedicating ourselves to seek what is best for it. Sometimes at great sacrifice. Loving God is something like that, too. By loving God, we open ourselves to God's Spirit who forms us on the inside to seek what God seeks to hope for what God hopes, and to work for what God wills. And loving God necessarily leads us to love our neighbors. That is the logic of what Jesus is using when he's talking, when he's answering the scribe's question. This is why another great First century rabbi named Hillel, Hillel the Elder, said this In the call to love our neighbors, we find the whole of the law. Everything else, he said, is just commentary. So there was a well known time management guru who was giving a presentation at some business school somewhere. He finished his talk and he said, Okay, time for a quiz. And so he pulled out a one gallon mason jar, you know, glass jar, big one, big one. And he set it on a table and he took about a dozen really big fist size rocks and he started putting them in the jar. He filled the jar to the top and he said, Is this jar full? And everyone in the class said, Yes! Really? He asked. And then he reached under the table, brought out a bucket of gravel, and he poured the gravel in the jar, and then he shook it all around till it went and filled up the jar. And then he said, Again, is the jar full? And of course, like you, <laughs> the students were catching on to what he was talking about, and they said, Probably not. <laughs> Good answer, he said, and then he pulled out another bucket of sand, and he poured the sand into the jar and swirled it around, so the sand and the gravel and the rocks are all there, it's all the way to the top, he says, is the jar full? And the student said, no, good answer, he said, then he took a pitcher of water, and he poured that into the big mason jar until it filled it all the way to the top. And he said, what is the point of this illustration? And one eager business student said, no matter how full your schedule, if you try really hard, you can always fit more stuff into it. (laughs) And he said, no, that's not the point of the illustration. The point is if you don't put the big rocks in first, you're never going to get anything else in there. And that's a question for all of us to consider today. What are the big rocks in the mason jar of your life? Of all the things that are clamoring for your attention and your time and your talent, what matters most? Well, Jesus was asked that question about 2,000 years ago by a scribe. And his answer is, Quite simple. It's love. It's the core. It's the foundation. It's the point of what it means to be both a Jew and a Christian. Now, as a preacher, it's tempting uh, to just leave it at that. I could just remind you, hey, love is all you need, so just go out and do it. That would be easy save us some time too. But that's not what I'm going to do today because it doesn't feel right to just leave it at that because as we all know loving is not always easy. Whether you think of love as an emotion or as an obligation, it is not easy. It makes me think about something that happened to me a while back in my own life. I was in a dispute with one of my neighbors on my street. How many of you have ever had a dispute with one of your neighbors? Wow, you're really peaceable people out there. I can't believe it. So, I won't go into details because it's not important. Let's just say that at the time, love was not particularly at the top of my agenda. I mean, we both wanted to win an argument. We both wanted to prove the rightness of our position, and we were more than ready to fight about it and defend our positions vociferously. In fact, at one point, my neighbor accused me, me, of being a hypocrite, since no true Christian would ever treat him that way. It's probably the last thing a pastor ever wants to hear in their lives. And I have to tell you, in normal circumstances, hearing something like that would really tick me off and it would make me wanna argue even more. But then something strange happened in that moment. For some reason, out of the blue, I even, maybe I was thinking of a sermon, I don't know why, but out of the blue, a quote came to me in that time of distress and anger and fighting and all that stuff. And it came from another famous rabbi who lived a long time ago. His name was Raphael. And he said, when a man, or a woman, when a man sees that his neighbor hates him, then he must love him more than he did before to fill up the gap. And it's amazing. That triggered, that filling up the gap with love that triggered in me a response that I wasn't expecting in that moment. They, They made me pause just long enough to try to listen to what my neighbor was saying to me. And that simple act allowed me to hear him and to see him not just as a rival, but as a child of God. Not a particularly pleasant child of God, but a child of God nonetheless. I wasn't all that pleasant either. And I realized that my role as a follower of Jesus was to reconcile with my neighbor as best as I could. And so we did. We agreed on a rational way to solve the problem between us. I really like how Lutheran minister Jane Stroll defines faith. She says, faith is being empty so God can fill us. Faith is being empty so God can fill us. And when you come down to it, love itself, any kind of love, love of God, love of neighbor, love of self, love itself is an act of faith sometimes. Back to all the time sometimes it doesn't seem possible to love. For some reason, your heart is empty, or your soul is crushed, or your mind is cluttered, or your strength is depleted. But somehow, sometimes, if we let it happen, God's love comes into you in that moment to fill you up and to fill in the gap. Now clearly, I don't have to tell you, these past couple of weeks in the life of our nation have been really, really hard. With the terrorism in El Paso, the shooting in Dayton, all sorts of other stuff. And the truth is that even as our hearts and our thoughts and our prayers go out to the victims we ourselves can start to feel pretty empty inside, too. I felt that. And so we're looking for rays of light. We're looking for signs of hope. And they exist. There are all sorts of signs of hope. There are all sorts of rays of light, but it can be hard to see them. In fact, I find one of those rays of hope in the words of Jesus, the words that we just read in the Scripture. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's not easy. With all of the hatred and all of the violence and all the name-calling and all the scapegoating all going on all around us and sometimes even within us, we need to remember what Jesus says. Because that's the point. Love is the core of any answer to the persistence of hatred or mistrust or anything else. Love is the core to the answer. And you and I were both created. All of us created and all of us called to be part of the solution and not part of the problem. And that's what draws me to that little sign that stands out in front of our church. You may have seen it. It's on the corner of Highland Avenue. The words in that sign echo what Jesus says about loving our neighbors. No matter where you're from, we are glad you are our neighbor. No matter where you are from, we are glad you are our neighbor. Those words say to anyone, who happens to be passing by, that you are welcome here with us. Now, I realize that, you know, such words, any words, are meaningless unless they are accompanied by concrete acts of welcome. They're also meaningless if they're simply intended to make us good about ourselves or feel self-righteous or virtuous. I get all that. And that's why the words are not just meant to be read by our neighbors. They're meant to be read by us, too, to remind us of who we are as Christians, whether we're rich or poor or white or a person of color, whether we're a native or an immigrant, gay or straight, Republican or Democrat, or whatever else we might be. It doesn't matter. The bottom line, is that we're all followers of Jesus. The one who calls each and every one of us in all of our glorious diversity to love the Lord our God with our heart, all our mind, and all our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. That is the message the Bible tells us to keep in our hearts, to teach to our children, And in word and in deed to display for the world to see in our own home. How we live, who we are, how we project ourselves as Christians. So as we prepare to come to this table here, to share in the Lord's Supper, remember that. Remember who you are. Remember who you are supposed to be. Remember who you were created and called to be by Jesus Christ. Remember that. And remember the love that brings us here together, that binds us up together no matter who we are. And the love that fills us up, even when we can feel really empty inside. In Jesus' name, amen. joyful feast of the people of God. The Bible tells us that people will come from east and west and north and south to sit at table in the kingdom of God. People will come from wherever they come from to sit at table in the kingdom of God. The Bible also tells us that on the first Easter, the time right after our Lord Jesus Christ was resurrected, he was walking down a road with some of his, his disciples. And as they were walking, they couldn't recognize him. They didn't know who he was. He talked to them, walked with them, spent a long time with them. They didn't recognize Jesus until they sat down together, they broke bread, and they ate a meal together. That's when they recognized the presence of Christ with them. So may we also recognize the presence of Jesus Christ with us today as we share in this feast that's been prepared all are welcome. Wherever you come from, wherever you're going in life, in this moment, God calls you and Jesus invites you to this table. Let's join together now in the great thanksgiving. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. Lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord, our God. Right to and Let us pray. Therefore, with the entire company of angels and saints in heaven and on earth, we worship and glorify you, God most holy, evermore praising you and saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might. Heaven and earth are full of your splendor. All glory to be be with you, O Lord most high. And Lord most high, come to us now in this low, everyday, ordinary place with these everyday, ordinary people. Be with us and by your Spirit, move among us, and make out of these ordinary elements of the fruit of the vine and the fruit of the field, bring them alive to us as the presence of Jesus Christ in our midst, that we might be transformed by participating in this meal. For we pray in Jesus' name, Amen. amen. You may be seated. Please seat. And hear now the words of institution of our Lord's Supper. On the night of his betrayal and his arrest, our Lord Jesus was at table with his disciples in a place we call the Upper Room in Jerusalem, where they had just shared, they were sharing what we call the Last Supper. And he took the bread that was before them, as i ministering in his name, take it now, and he broke it, blessed it, said, take, eat, this is my body, broken for you. Whenever you eat of this, do it remembering me. Same way he took the cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant, which is sealed in my blood, shed for all of you for the forgiveness of sin. Whenever you drink of this, do so remembering me. And so anytime we eat together and drink from this cup and from this loaf, we are professing our faith in the truth of the life and the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. And we're looking forward to that day, which is not here yet, but is coming, I can assure you, when all of God's people can sit down at one table and share in the feast that's been prepared in the kingdom of God. Let's pray together the prayer that our Lord taught us, saying, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom the power and the glory forever amen you'll receive the elements of communion by intinction. That means you'll be directed by some of the ushers to come down the center aisle from your pews, to tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup, and return to the pews by the side aisle. So now come for all things are made ready, the gifts of God for the people of God. I invite all of us now to join together in reading or reciting the words of the 23rd Psalm there, written in the bulletin. They're written on the stained glass window in the back of the sanctuary as well. Let's join together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Um, My head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, as you leave this sanctuary today, this place of comfort, this place of challenge, take with you whatever you have received from the gracious hand and the loving presence of God that gives you a sense that God is with you, that God has forgiven you, and that God calls you to respond to God's love with your own love, our own love, and through that love to love our neighbors as ourselves. And as we leave this place, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be and abide with each and every one of you, both now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.